just be eating my salad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's just chill. I mean, this is really like ad hoc, you know. I think it's I think it's beneficial to see practitioners who are at a pretty fucking high level of understanding just be people because like the professional image graft marketings <laughs> like like you know this like oh i have to put my pontiff hat on now you know like <laughs> it's like there's there's something to the reality that like we've gotten away from wanting to just be people and then we constantly market this new form of people yeah. like oh i'm this kind of person it's like I know. um right so you can market it on instagram you're like you're the person with the big booty and the yoga pants at the gym on instagram now but you're just a person too you know it's like but it's like no you're like a a character of a person that you play you play yourself on tv right totally totally yeah and and so i'm looking at that and how when people are very deeply in trauma or very deeply in an ingrained defensive position, which is an addiction, but it's an ingrained defensive. These are the five preferred states that I can be in only. Yeah. <laughs> These are the three preferred states and anything outside those states is terrifying, right? <laughs> right, because you know, our brain- These are the limits I'm talking about yeah, not these... being interested in cooperating. Yeah, <laughs> right, and so, there's something about when people come and they're terrified of the more than two or three options that they are used to, right? They're terrified of the menu. The menu of options is too crazy for them. They don't know how to internalize their own menu of options to go, oh, well, I could just tweak the brightness setting on this option and like change the color. And then suddenly it's like a whole new option, right? Yeah. but then they come to practitioners who sort of seem to have their shit together, or at least maybe they do. I mean, you know, I don't know if I have my shit together, but the point is, is that like, I'm playing the game at a pretty high level, right? And so are you. Yes. I'm playing this menu option game inside my neurochemical factory, really at a high level. And then sometimes I am just tired and I have to crash. But the point is, is that I'm playing, the game. I'm like, really like, okay, trying to be a human, not be an asshole, you know, but also like, what the fuck is human, you know? But I'm also not necessarily trying to play a character so that you believe that I'm this character forever because then I'm trapped in the character I play. Totally, 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 100%, that's right. Well, and the the more people you have around you or the more people who are in relationship to you, the more you're you become trapped in that character to a certain degree because the more the their projections from your initial projected character and their interpretation of that forms a meta network essentially of who you then are and what's ironic to me is that at an earlier part of the maturation process we count on that to be we are like we need that right that's part of the reflective device that allows us to form a a resonant and contrasting sense of self but then at some point we don't want that anymore because we recognize that those boxes even if there's 20 of them even if there's 50 or 100 that those boxes can no longer hold the infinite permutations that our expression is trying to express constantly. 
constantly, right? It's like there's something in improv or clowning in which when we act in a certain way in this kind of fabricated game, it's like, okay, so we're gonna play a game in which we are changelings or shapeshifters, right? So, so already I'm gonna create this meta narrative in which like the game is that the two or three actors on the stage are not actually human or they are, but they have this special power and they have this special power like almost like a chameleon, right? Like a superpower where they can shapeshift and then they can come back and then they can shapeshift again. And in fact, this shapeshifting is almost like the autonomic nervous system. Mm -hmm. It's like you're breathing automatically, your heart's beating automatically. Now imagine if you were a creature who autonomically, while you are just living your life, your arm just changed into a butter knife and then it became, and then there were butterflies coming out of your head, but then they went back, you know, like, but it's like, okay, so we can imagine that because we see cartoons in science fiction, right? We go, oh, this person's rules are different. They kind of morph and change and it's just like, whatever. But then we don't understand that that's actually the true reflection of what's happening. Totally. And then we get stuck and then the actor or the playwright or the speculative fiction author or something has to prioritize the game of going right. So I have to not only let myself do that honestly, like this kind of blah, blah, blobbiness, right? Like, oh, now I'm purple, now I'm zero, now I'm a dragon, now I'm not a dragon, you know, like whatever. And it's not even that the, the labels are important because the labels aren't important. It's the act of this. It's the act of the process not being dampened, right? Totally. So not only do you have to say, well, that's okay. And I permit my system to do the thing it wants to already do. You have yeah. to give you the real permission and go, oh, this is kind of terrifying, but also it's kind of cool. Not <laughs> only do you have to do that, you have to constantly give other people the opportunity to do that. Totally. So I don't know which one is more difficult, but I'm trying to play the game in which it's like, I have to keep unblocking my so-called boundary of can I, am I able to just let myself have this sort of autonomic shape-shifting, magical, reflective nonsense quality that I am, but without labeling any of it, because then it gets problematic. But you just go, okay, this just happening and then happens. Um, but you have to give other people the opportunity to do that too. And what I think is that what I've done is I've, I've excluded myself from the world so that I can be that person as 24 seven as possible. Yeah. But then when I go into sort of like normal situations, you yeah. actually can feel the yeah. like corseted quality of people. Yes. Like they're, they've got collars on corsets. <laughs> like their clothes are too tight, but it's not the clothes. It's like, there's this psychic corseting. Yes. Right. That's yes. always like, I can't really, you know, just like be a woman or I can't really be my full erotic self or like, I can't be whatever the fuck label you put it. But the, the point is they're constantly going like, I can't <laughs> and you can't. And if you do then I get angry at you because you gave yourself the permission that I didn't give myself. 
Totally, 100%. Yes, and I would say in addition to that, because of that core or fundamental corseting, at whatever level people are doing it, because some people are doing it closer to the bottom, so to speak, other people are doing it more at the surface level. But I think in reaction to that corseting, you also have the whole host of reality fields and personalities that are formed from the reaction of the restriction itself. And <laughs> yeah. so that's what you're often dancing with. Yeah. And I think in the 25 years that I've been doing this work and sitting with people, you know, thousands of them, because at the center, we had tens of thousands of people. And I was working with the layers of that. So not just the client, but how the client was coming through the practitioners, and then how the practitioners were doing that same meta dance with each other and with me in my own permission that they were coming to me to grant to them that then they were pissed that I was granting. And so there is all of these pieces that you're speaking about that happen in this giant landscape. And <clears throat> it's fascinating though, because once your discernment picks up the frequency or the ways of those layers or those actions and reactions, in some ways what happens is the whole soup of them, for me at least, gets thrown out. Like I stop seeing some of those things. They just don't, they go right through me because my system is automatically zeroing in on the thing that is actually being corseted or the thing that is really being said because of what's being corseted. Yeah. And then I get into the whistleblower status. Yeah, right. Then right. I'm in the place where I'm deciding, do I say the thing? Is yeah. it appropriate to say the thing? Do I still just play the game as if I'm playing it with you? And ha ha, maybe <laughs> you think I'm playing it too, but really I'm dying here because I gotta get the fuck out of here because I'm not playing the game and I'm itchy when I'm not playing the game. That's right. That's right. Right. It's you've got the scratchy poly polyurethane sweater on from 1975 or whatever, where it's just like, how did people wear these clothes and not I don't know. dream all the time? Yeah, know. right. These synthetic like plastic like clothing where you're like, oh my God, get me out of here. I just want to go home and rip off all my clothes. Totally. Just, yeah, but it's like it's I think it's interesting because this hall of mirrors quality is both a fun house that we have fun when we do it on purpose. Yes. So like, okay, there's my reactions to my own reactions. There's your reactions to my reactions to my reactions. There's my reactions to your reactions to your reactions. And then there's all the permutations of the reactions to each other. Yes. So it's like, okay, that's fun when it can be fun. That's yeah. fun when we all kind of agree, okay, I'm going to the haunted house tomorrow. I'm buying the ticket and I'm going to go into the fun house. And suddenly there's 75 of me and 75 of you and they're all grotesque. And we go, oh my God, this is so weird. And I'm kind of laughing, but also no, I don't like it. You know, you go and you, when you when you agree that the fun house mirror cosmogram is the thing we're doing, then it's okay, oh, well, this is the thing we're doing. And I have a, I have a schema for that. Yeah. And the spirit of it is different. 
Right, the, the spirit the, of it. That's it, the spirit of attitude. it. Attitude. The there's, there's an attitude shift, you know? It's like, oh, okay, so we're going to the, we're going to this restaurant, not that restaurant. Yes. Which is to say, I'm going to this attitude. I need to, I need to have this kind of ability to shift into this attitude state. And if yeah. you can, you can. And if you can't, you go, well, I'm not going to go to that restaurant today because I, they played music too loud and I don't want to have loud music today. But that's, you know, that's, that's really what's happening. But then there's this other quality where it's like, what we try to do or what Westerners or modernists or just control freaks are always trying to do is to go, I didn't buy a ticket to this fun house. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, now we're getting to a level of non-dual relationship where you have to kind of go, right, but you have the ticket and you're in the fun house, whether you bought it or not consciously because now we're talking about well did i really consent to this it's like okay now is not the time for that conversation (laughs) (laughs) that conversation was like a hundred steps back (laughs) yeah right but this is but this was what seems to happen because whenever you wake up is when you wake up in the dream right so the dream of reality which is like oh I'm 13, I'm 75, I suddenly wake up to the fact that maybe I'm gay or that I've been corseting or that you're reacting to the thing that I was 25 years ago. You know, whenever you wake up in the dream world is whenever you wake up. And the thing that I think is this culture shock for people, it's like a kind of meta culture shock. It's like, when you wake up in the dream, there isn't like a concierge that walks up to you with a kind of titrated sequence of realizations to go, okay, now that you've woken up, we're going to take it one baby step. There's no, it doesn't work. What happens is you wake up into the total totality at the same time. And you go, and you go, I didn't buy a ticket to this fun house. There's 75 mirrors around me. I only want one at a time. That's where people get stuck, I think, because they start to think about consent and boundaries and harm reduction. And, and it's like, no, that you're you're on the top of the roller coaster ride. You, yeah. you know, like this is not the actual time and place to have these abstract conversations about what you did or didn't decide to do you're in the fucking playing ground (laughs) like you're in the soccer match world cup but that's when you woke up you know like whatever you woke up wherever you woke up you were on the top of the roller coaster you were in the middle of a war you were having sex you woke up where you woke up and you go fuck this is too much i hate it and then there's, I think, a cascade of problems that start to happen at that moment. Oh God, I'm just dying. It's yeah, so yeah. good. What yeah. you're saying is so true. It's so good. And it makes me think about the moment I woke up yeah. and like how what followed from that and how much of a total true shit show that was hmm. and how partially that was a shit show because the preparation for waking up that had been sold to me was so not accurate for what <laughs> yeah, waking right, up right. actually not accurate. is. Yeah, yeah. And what was amazing to me was that the communities where waking up should have been a given, 
where it should have been, I could have gone to those communities and people would have been able to say, oh, yes, all the things you just said, like you're here, this is this, right? There was none of that in those communities. And what I found, which was really disappointing, is that 80 of the percent of the people in those communities hadn't fucking woken up. <laughs> yeah, right, totally, <laughs> right. So then all of a sudden, the people who I thought were like leading me or teaching, suddenly they couldn't help anymore. No, no, no. And I think it is particularly potent when you wake up at the intersection of different crossroads. Some people wake up in one paradigm. They wake up to their Buddhism. They wake up to their church. Yeah, they yeah. wake up to their intimate relationships. But when you wake up to the whole fucking relational foundation of reality, there's not so many people who span those intersections who can look at why your waking up looks that way because of your chemistry, your ancestry, your personal psychological history, your practice that you did to get you to the waking right. up. The vehicle you drove through the over the cliff. Drove. <laughs> like, yes. like, like, did you drive over the cliff at a motorcycle or a horse, you know? Like totally, <laughs> and this matters, right? Yeah, totally. For real, like in reality, these conditions, they matter. Yeah. And they have big clues to what happens after the waking up right. and how you either put it back together, whatever the fuck that means, or you don't put it back together. But how you navigate it relationally has everything to do with those conditions. And we should be doing better at looking at that and understanding it because the reality is consciousness is gonna keep waking itself fucking up through us, whether we give consent or not, because consent is a stupid human idea that we have anything in charge of what consciousness is doing through the vehicle of our body. Yeah. Come on, that's so arrogant. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, this is where, this is where we're stuck because, and this is what I'm trying to sort of do research on now. There's. So, so here's an interesting thing. So when I started to have chronic pain and my disease started like really coming online when I was 29 or 28 or 29, I started to notice I would have really this chronic pain. And, and I grew up with a mother who was disabled, who had like a broken back. Um, she wasn't paralyzed, but she was, you know, her spine was fused and that you know she had chronic pain and so i when i was a kid i didn't really know what she was going through on a conscious level you know what i mean like i kind of saw all the external symptoms and i was kind of weirdly empathic enough to know that like there were worlds within worlds within worlds happening and that's what created the external behavior set right so this is me as a kid going, I'm lost in a, and you know, because I was a really psychic child. I was really fucked up, you know, like I was just like, oh, you know, seeing things all the time and being like, I don't know how to deal with any of this. But the point is, is that when I started to have my disease, like sort of manifest in this particular way, because if you think about the disease as consciousness as well, it was already always there latent in the system going, oh. well, I'm going to wake your ass up someday. And here it is, you know, like, here's the vehicle. Here's the yeah. vehicle. Yes. So part of my vehicle has been like near death and disease and pain. But what I'm trying to sort of say is that when I was 28, 29, and I started to notice this chronic pain, 
I started to do research because I had already gone to like massage therapy school. So I kind of had some idea of pain syndrome, syndromal mechanoreceptor issue, right? Like, okay, so there's a kind of neurobiological, neurophysiological component to pain that can be shifted through sort of like mechanical, in, you know, um, you know, like mechanical interruption. Yes. Right? Like you could press on a point yes. that hurts and suddenly the pain changes and then it's not pain anymore. What the fuck is going on? Right. So I had yes. some idea of like the acute interruption of the pain sensation, the perception of pain to go, oh, this is weird. This is like a psychic event. This isn't like actually material. Like on some level, it's not like this is a rock. It's like, no, this is like jelly that changes when you put yes. your attention on it. Yes. So I had an idea of that. I started doing more research and it turns out back then the research had not caught up really. There was a, there was a group though in Australia who's still doing amazing work. They're called the NOI group. And they talk about explaining pain and exploring pain and how it's kind of like this fucking psychedelic thing. Like, it's just like- The Noetic Institute? No, it's, it's, it's NOI group. It's not the Noetic Institute. It's okay. a different group, but okay. it's NOI and it stands for something, but basically they're like super geek neuroscientists about pain. Right. But yeah. the, the funny thing is, is like, I, I, I looked at what they were doing. It gave me like a really great baseline to be like, oh, so there's this perception thing that is kind of like taking drugs when it comes to pain signal. You kind of start to see something. And then if you choose to believe it, oh, now right. you're in trouble. You're screwed. You're true. So what I did to get out of that first hump of chronic pain, which was a perception shift, was I have to move anyway, because if I'm going to have pain regardless, so it was like an equation, pain was the constant, not the variable. Yes. I said, if pain is the constant, and this is what gives me chills, because it was like one of the waking up moments, which was practical. It was highly practical. It was, let's say in this equation, pain is the constant, not the variable, which means I can't get rid of it. Right? Yes. Like it means that I can't actually cure it. Yes. But what I can do is I can have other variables around it. Yes. So, and I thought about my mother and I was like, oh, right, I'm actually trying to solve my mom's problem in the That's future, right. right? Like I'm doing this weird ancestral thing, but also it's my problem because now I have it, right? Yes. So I would go, well, if pain is the constant and it's in the constant every equation, if the variable is movement or paralysis, like mm -hmm. staying still and not moving because it's hurting, I go, oh, well, I'd rather move and have pain mm -hmm. than have pain and not move. Mm-hmm. And that's what sort of got me over the hump, which was mm -hmm. to go, I can do it. It's yep. just going to hurt. Totally. Well, and in many ways, I think that you wound up um, undermining the helplessness variable within that, yeah. you know, like in those two pieces of just relating to it as the constant, you already undermine the helplessness because you're like, oh, fuck, like I've surrendered to this. This is the variable that I can't or <laughs> it isn't changeable and isn't changing. And then the other piece about like, I can either stay stuck in it or I can move. You give yourself that power, so to speak. And I think, 
you know, at the beginning of this conversation, when you talk about like the trauma body and being stuck in the trauma body, so much of that has to do with being stuck in that helplessness, being stuck in that overarching rehearsed helplessness. And we can call it victimhood or whatever. It doesn't matter what the yeah. label is, but the reality is it feels like it is in a movable force. And a lot of times that immovable force feels that way because it has been transmitted through multiple generations be be before you have gotten to the place where you are looking at it and saying, is this immovable? Yeah. Shouldn't I be able to live beyond this? <laughs> like something's not right, right. here, right? right? That's like five generations of that. Right, right. Because at a certain point, it's the glacier you meet on your Arctic journey and you go, well, I'm not going to be able to melt this glacier, but the glacier is melting slowly. Yes. And you go, well, that's the, that's actually the cognitive shift, which you can, which allows you to kind of not feel like the glacier is doing something to you as a personal attack. Exactly. It's just like, oh no, this is like a meta context that I'm inside of, but also like moving through, you yes. know, like it's a landscape. It's not a problem anymore although yeah. you might not like the landscape because the yeah. landscape hurts or is like on fire or something right yeah. and so it's like a meta narrative shift but then once you get to the meta narrative shift you can start to go into sort of like different wormholes within the psychic you know meta narrative of whatever it is you're talking about because yeah. Because at, at that point, you've created this kind of blank canvas that's not totally blank. Like you, you have a setup, you have a prompt, just like in theater. You have a prompt, but the prompt is what now gives you more options because you bounce off the prompt. Yeah, totally. You go, well, if it is a glacier, what do I need to do? You know, like you go, okay, so the scene that we're playing is that there's a glacier. Okay, so like, you know what I mean? It's it's like I you do. You play this kind of game internally, which is not really about control, but is more about play. It's yeah. more about if these are the givens, what can I do with the givens? Yeah. And I would, I would throw in one more variable there, which is that for some individuals, that's what they wind up doing with their addiction. Yes. That they, they, they create that as an immovable variable, and it has a lot of story around it, which our system also supports, right? You are sick. This is a disease, right? Like there's a whole bunch of supportive structure for that variable to be immovable. And people then create an entire life around the supposed immovability of that. Right. And what has been continually frustrating to me is that many times that is a false immovable variable. Oh, totally, right. And, and so what happens is, and I'm sure you know where I'm going with this, is that you get to the place where now there's enough freedom to move that variable and now you're really stuck because <laughs> an entire life has been built sometimes 10, 20, 50 years around this being the immovable variable. Right, right, and right. so now real freedom is here, which is something that offers possibilities of life and livelihood and existence that goes beyond that entrenched way mm -hmm. and it becomes very problematic to part with that thing yeah. very 
Right. Like when you're talking, it's like, because I can see how it's sort of like this. It's like in science fiction, and this is because like life is science fiction. So I just use it all the time. But it's like, imagine you create like an artificial sun. The sun is the immovable stability of which all the planets orbit around, right? right? But let's say that you grew up on this, like these planets, but the artificial sun was built 10 billion years ago. And your lifespan is only like 100 years. To the person coming down the line, the moment that the artificial sun stops working, it's an apocalypse. That's right. To 100%. I love that. But if you go back in time, the originators of the artificial sun, they always knew it was going to end because it was artificial. Artificial. I mean, this is what I talk about with that building of the second nervous system, right? Mm-hmm. That you can have more than one central channel. The, and that second central channel, and we had this discussion in my teaching group two weeks ago about whether like somebody who has DID could have like five or seven central right. channels, yes. right? Like could each of those altars have their own and I yes. don't know because I, probably I haven't seen it, and I can yes. only say what I have truly seen and what i have truly seen is that over and over again there is a second trauma-based central nervous system that is networked and vibrant and alive and has its own cognition and its own agendas and its own rooting in the earth and it is not in truth that's right and until you get to the place where you are so at the base where you are looking at the truth, you will not know the difference and neither will any of the thousands of practitioners that you're (laughs) employing to get you out of it. That's right, right. Because at a certain point, the illusion is so intoxicating. Yes, it's, yes, it's (laughs) so embodied. It's so embodied and yet, if you really become discerning about frequency and true, frequency that is coming through somebody with a clear channel you immediately know that's not the thing totally and your attention and nervous system knows it's not the thing even if you don't know it up here your body starts to drop out yes your body and relationship with it starts to drop out Mm -hmm. because it isn't connected in truth it isn't connected in the real natural source of its connection yeah and then this is actually why I stopped doing private sessions, you know, like a year or two ago. Because you were getting tired and falling asleep? Well, not only that, but like, <laughs> I just want to like map it out. Because it's like, if you say the word trauma healing now, what you're actually telling people, the narrative that people come to is, I need this second false nervous system validated by a professional. Totally. That's <laughs> when I leave the session. And that's when it's a problem. because. <laughs> Because the the issue that I see with Western PTSD trauma healing is that they're not quite ready to understand interdependence and impermanence together at the same time, which is like the non-dual field, which is to say everything's dying, but also it's not really a problem. You just have to not fight it. Um, <laughs> and also everything's connected, even the things you don't want to be connected to. So get just get over it. You know, like just get over it. Here's a million techniques to get over it because you're actually the problem. (laughs) You are the problem. Your resistance to interdependency is the problem in the field you're angry about. (laughs) 
It's like, oh, okay. So, and this is like the hard, this is the hard but funny truth, which is why it's like I've I've transitioned to some kind of like Bill Hicksian stand-up routine. You know, like like I'm basically just doing stand-up therapy on the internet because it's the only way people can understand the sort of science fictional reality that we're actually in, which is to say, you can for a hundred hundred lifetimes really tell me you are who you say you are you know like you are really the you are really hurt and you are really sad and you are really helpless and you are really fucked up and you are really you know like you are really and i have to go look around at the stage and go we're still in the improv right like we're still in the improv because at a certain point, it's like everyone's forgotten we're in the improv, except I have to go, right, but my practice has primed me to go, no, no, still in the improv. It's just gotten so weird that we, ne- okay, we're still in the improv, but now you're playing the improv that you don't know you're in the exactly. improv. Exactly. You know, and it's it's refreshing when you can laugh at it, but it's also deeply frightening when the person in front of you really, really believes it. Oh, I know. Because and so now you're like, you okay, you're not playing it. anymore. No, no. You're not having fun with your improv anymore. You're actually really <laughs> believing that like, this is, perm- oh, fuck. Like, we're, fu- like, because now their reality field starts to affect yours. I know. I you start to go, um, this is like the black, the, so the artificial sun is becoming a black hole. Totally. And I don't want to go into the black hole, but I can see the event horizon because you're generating it. Totally. Totally. This happened to me. It doesn't happen to me as often as it used to, because I think of where I am in relationship to it. Now I have more span to play even within those confines. Right, right totally. Yeah, yeah. I still get to choose whether I want to play the game within those confines or not. But That's super important. You have to be able to have the choice to go, is the best thing right now for me to kind of go along with the story exactly. this child is telling me? Yes, exactly. And I would say about six months ago, I got referred somebody for like a one-time consultation and they came through somebody who had worked with me years ago and had a lot of success and so they came with a lot of hope and a lot of assumption (laughs) oops in the first six minutes i was aware of everything you just said i was like oh this person isn't they have been so trauma therapied that they believe that this is so real. And so I start reality testing that with people. Mm-hmm. Like I start I start doing all sorts of things that I do to see how strong the reality field is for that individual and how married they are to that reality That's field. Right. How much are they invested in it? <laughs> Which essentially tells me their emotional and um, evolutionary age. Because wherever, however they're glued to it, if they're glued to it too strongly, their emotional age is too young to work with me. That's right. It's not because I can't do the work with them. It's because I no longer want to. That's right. It's a desire based like. Because it makes me want to (laughs) die. Yeah, totally. Let's just be honest. It's It's hard for me to start dying. 
they start dying right there and then. Yeah. So I start reality testing this person, right? I'm poking in 50 directions because yeah, yeah. this is what I do, right? And I do it very like, you know, with a lot of integrity, but I'm looking, I'm seeing, and they are checking every fucking box of like, they, this is their truth. And the worst is that they work in the world of social justice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this and is so the thing, yeah. Because they work in that re world, this is like this is like when I work with long-term meditators, yeah. or people who are deeply spiritual with 50 years of practice, they have all the language to defend it. And so because they have the language, because it's been road tested through that system, because they know themselves in truth so strongly in that place. So sad. I <laughs> am the fucking enemy. Yeah, of course. Yeah, 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 I am the enemy. And they are going to make anybody they hire the enemy if that person goes for the center that they're defending and begging you to unlock. That's right. That's and the problem. I will right. know I played that game in the right. early years right. when I worked with eating disorders and I worked with people with borderline personality. Yeah, yeah, whatever. All these things, which all is basically the same thing. It's all it's the same thing. thing. It's yeah, the it's same thing. And back then I was still learning. And so I learned, but no more, because that is a waste of my time because they are playing a game with me that they think they're outwitting me in, that I have to let them think they're outwitting me in because they're too fucking fragile to handle the real game. And yeah. that's what I actually want to tell them is go see somebody else and get less fragile. And then you can come back and we'll play the game. That's it. And that's yeah, and what I often do tell them. And you know, that's the thing is like, instead of rejection, you have to understand it's like if me, if it's like, if I go to a cross, like, here's the thing about fragility, it's not like a sin and it's not like a weakness really. It's like, look, it's like, it's really just matching. You have to match your capacity with the capacity building paradigm that you're entering. So if I go into a CrossFit studio, I'm gonna get and hurt because my system can't deal with the things that they do because there's a different like historical and not just like history big time but like history small as in like those people are primed for a certain kind of thing that yeah. my system isn't primed for it doesn't mean i'm like weaker than them it yes. just means if you put them in the place that i'm really good at they would also get injured yes exactly so and this is the thing it's like well, if I go try to do CrossFit games, I'm going to get fucked up and it's just going to be bad. And they're going to be like, well, you're not ready. And I'm going to have to go. Yeah, you're right. I'm not ready. But they, well, we often don't think about that the other way around, which is yeah. you go see a medicine person who can really fucking play with identity and go, oh, I'm not who you think I am. And I'm going to keep changing and I'm yes. going to keep fighting. If your psychological CrossFit, you know, is not up to task. Yes. You are going to fucking ball up in a fetal position right. and fuck and go become more of an addict. Yes. Which essentially, you know, to just capitalize on what you're saying, I mean, that's what happens when people are going to take fucking ayahuasca. Oh, totally. To yeah, fix yeah. the thing or even like a major mushroom trip. Totally. You know, All like of it. this is it's the same. You're dosing with the wrong medicine for the wrong time. And it doesn't mean you can never take that medicine. So we used to get people through the center for intake and, you know, 
suffice it to say, we did no cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we did some of it in skill building, but that was not what we were there for. And it wasn't what we did. And so we would get people through sometimes and in intake, it would become very clear to me, they were not a fit for what we offered. And we offered a wide range of things. But not all the things, you can't offer everything. No, no. And our aim was not towards that thing. And there were people who came through that I would say to them, I'm going to send you somewhere else because this is where you will get what you need for now. And there may be a time you might be attracted to coming back. And if you are, come see us again. I mean, this is ethics within the thing, right? Right, right, right. Well, it's also an ethics that requires you to kind of make mistakes for a little while as a practitioner, because at the beginning, you're sold a bill of lies. Yeah. That like, if you have the yeah. polyvagal training, if you have the attachment training, if you have like CBT and blah, 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 if you have a bunch of training, then you could help anyone. It's like, okay. ah, and that's what everyone gets told. I got told that everyone gets told this kind of lie, this bill of lies, which is, this is what you need to help anybody. And it's like, no, this is what you need to just like have the ABCs. Totally. We, it's like there's a there's a level of understanding that gets masked because people are in, still inside capitalism. Yeah. Yes. If you're inside capitalism, your healing yeah. work or your helping work, your care work is actually already twisted into a false reality because yeah. you need it to survive. And that's pro- like you need to make money because you invest. It's like, OK, so if we took it out of capitalism back into like the real medicine world of people in a hunter-gatherer society that specialize, but also it's very different. But if you take it out of capitalism, you go, I don't know how long it'll take you to be a professional. You see, it's like, I don't know how long it will take you to understand what the fuck I'm talking about. Yeah. So I can't tell you it's a four-year program. Yeah, right. And I also can't tell you with honestly, honesty that you'll be able to help every single person who comes to you. In fact, I'm probably going to tell you the opposite. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to tell you, oh, you know, you're going to attract 95% ghosts the first like 10 years because you're too stupid to understand. <laughs> right. Now, right. and now this is the thing is like what I'm trying to, you know, sort of do because I had to learn it the hard way, but even my hard way was only a few years. If if you don't have this ability to keep breaking breaking out of the identity you've boxed yourself in as, yes. because the identity is, is really tight because capitalism says, oh, you can't waste that degree. And it's like, what are you talking about? Waste it. You know, there's no waste. There, but the point is, is that the narrative structures about like not making your parents sad about you, you know, like there's all of this double bind threat based domination paradigm inside of the structure well if you fail this client you really failed them it's like no 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 there was something in the relational field that you're intimate with where you're still dishonest with yourself as a practitioner yes yes and until you understand that that client is not not your client actually Yes. You see, like you have to get out of the box to go, what's actually happening here is that I wasn't willing to look at the vast 
network of interdependence that was actually presenting itself. And I, because I needed the money to pay my rent. Yes, totally. You have to be able to take that level of, of cognition and go, oh, this is just another layer of the game I have to get better at playing. Yeah. But the problem we have is that so many people are in such high degrees of stress and pain and fear and and um, not just not just the kind of things that happen to us, but how we act based on those things. Totally. Which is to say, the in a DV situation, like a domestic violence situation, yes, you have the person who's being hit, but you also have the person who's being forced to hit. Totally. And most people are like, well, that person is a second priority. But in this way of thinking, totally. that's one network. Totally. And it's totally. all fucked up. Because essentially what you're speaking about, I think, is that you have to come out of the boxes and look at the transactions. Yeah, yeah. And if you start looking at the transactions and the network of the transactions, it forms a bigger and more diverse picture of what's actually going on there. And then you actually have some agency within it. I mean, that's the crazy thing is everybody's looking for the agency outside of that, but the agency is actually inside of that. It's in Mm -hmm. where the transactions are happening. Yes, yes, yeah, Yeah, totally. And it's funny too, because like, even in an anti-capitalist or non-capitalist frame, so I, I I do a bunch of studying of like, what are the few remaining hunter-gatherer tribes now? Like, what are they actually doing socially? Mm-hmm. Because they act, there actually are a few that are like, they actually know because they see their neighboring tribes. When the neighboring tribes adopt agriculture, mm-hmm. they see the shift from matrifocality to patrifocality, the fact that men become lazier and more violent and women become like slaves. They see that it's like you can. It's like if I just go visit like the next town over, and I go, "Oh, this is weird." Like all of you are doing this, you know. Like, right? They are able to see that they're not living in a fucking bubble, you know. Because it's the rise of commodification, is yes. It's the rise of because when you start doing that, you invent the ideas of private property and ownership, and then you invent the ideas of debt and credit. Yeah. And the minute you start to do that, agriculture, debt, credit, this is my land, not your land. These are my potatoes, not your potatoes. You create false separation. You create false separation, which then leads to a whole host of actually like violent behaviors. Yeah. Like as in like interpersonal violence, like shaming, ostracization, like like kind of almost like institutionalized neglect, you know, like like where you actually like gaslight people, but it's like the culture. And it's yeah. like fucking creepy. So these hunter-gatherer tribes know that if you join that tribe over there, because they let people leave, it's like you can leave anytime. In the hunter-gatherer tribe, you can go away. That's the thing about being free is that you don't have to fucking stay here. Right. But the problem is they they actually can go just look, but look at how they're transacting and look at how we're transacting. So there's still transaction in a non-capitalist egalitarian system. Totally. It's not only capitalist transaction, but there's still a kind of call and response or give and take or a kind of compromising, like anti-fragility you have to deal with. Yeah, totally. 
there's a comp like people are kind of compromising, right? It's like grandma said, I can't do that. I really want to do that, but I love my grandma. And if I did that, it would cause a lot of problems. So I have to, you know, like you have to find, you find people wrestling with the same things everyone wrestles with. Absolutely. Which yeah. is, I want something, but I know that it will affect my people in this way that will be kind of, eh, but I still want it. So how can I get, and sometimes you do have people lying, cheating, or or doing something that they know if other people knew about it, they would get in trouble in that culture, mm -hmm. but they do it anyway, because they go, they actually understand it's about who, it's about the kind of knowing or the perception of the thing. It's not actually the thing. Mm -hmm. But here's what, where we get really interesting. It's like, in order to stay interdependent and keep the benefits you do have in the system you are in, Right. It's because because this is still what's happening. It's you have to weigh the cost benefit of every action, no matter what. Yes. In your interdependent network. Yes. So. In the egalitarian hunter gatherer tribe, sometimes you do have to fucking make false or dualistic compromises because that's just how the wheel that's just how the cart is rolling down the hill. Totally. But what's very interesting, I think, about the West or the fact that, like, in the West, we can sort of have a non-egalitarian, non-interdependent idea of the world, right? Like, I'm not in a hunter-gatherer tribe uh, on, on, like, a kind of material level, but I also am because it doesn't really matter. But the point is, is that you have to do this double nervous system thing like what you talked about. Yeah. There's the nervous system that goes... I am going to act this way and I'm going to enjoy the benefit of not pissing off grandma. Yeah. Because totally. that benefit, the benefit of that is the benefit of that. Totally. But then there's this second nervous system that says, but I'm not going to allow it to, to actually change my perception of reality because my perception of reality needs to be clear. Well, that's the tricky part. That's the tricky part. That's the tricky part. That's the tricky that's part. That's where you have to know where the move comes from. That's right. And I think this is what I teach a lot is that most of the time, almost all of our moves are coming from the trauma body. They're coming right. from reaction, which means that they're coming from somewhere on that polarization of either control or collapse. Right. And if your moves are coming from control or collapse, you're actually not moving through your life. That's you're right. moving in reaction to life. Right. You're not moving your life. Well, that's the moment when you're in like the Truman Show. You're in the simulation of your life that exactly. is actually not your life. Exactly. But right. you believe that it's your life, right? Oh, real. Exactly. That's right. Of course, you believe you're just your Truman. You're like, well, this is all right. I've ever known. Oh. And even in the Truman Show, and even in Don't Worry, Darling. Did you see yeah. Don't Worry, Darling? No, no, no. I don't think oh, I that's, did. That's out recently. Okay, so okay. even in both of those places, you know, there's places where they wake up to the fact that they're in the simulation. Yeah, and yeah. when they wake up to the fact that they're in the simulation, they have to find the move that is their move. Mm. And the only thing that really breaks the simulation is your move. That's right. And your move doesn't have to, this is what you're elucidating, is that your move doesn't have to look like the good move. No. It doesn't have to look like the move that's the best thing for your society. It has to be the true move. 
even if that true move makes a mess of things. That's right. It's that it's, and, and ironically, of course, in like, you know, if you look at constellation work, this is what, you know, Hellinger and like any good constellator will talk to you about is that like, you know, the true move is the move that reorients the entire system to all of the true moves. That's Whether right. they adopt their true move in reaction to that or not. That's right. But you still know your move, even if you don't take it. Yeah, right. Yeah. This is it. And the thing is, is like, this is both true in improv and in like physical theater or whatever. It's like, but it's not true all the time because this is a very hot subject. Because there's the truths that you think are true. Totally. And those you might have to make if your eye is on the real prize. Yes. Because you're not really there yet. You're like, look, I don't really know what my true move is, but I know a move that's a little bit truer than this one, or it's at least a little bit different than the one I'm making. Totally. 100%. So you kind of iterate this kind of metagame, which is like a pregame, which is like, until I'm able to really get to the true move, I have to make all of these like maybe moves. Right. These practice moves or whatever they are. Right. And in essence, they can clear the board for the other move. That's the game. Yes. And that's why it's a series of moves. It's not one move. No, And And it's a philosophy. It's a philosophy of moving. Totally. It is a philosophy of moving. And I would say that there are those moments, which I know that you will affirm where it is the move. You know what I mean? Like there, there are some moments where you're either walking through the door or you're not. (laughs) That's it. And if you don't walk through the door, the game becomes something else. That's right. And if you do walk through the door, the game becomes something else. And I have made those moves where I have walked and moves where I have not walked and the moves where I have not walked and it was the true move, I have learned the hell realms. That's right. People never want to learn because that door closes. That door closes. The door is not always open to you and then you have to find or create another door. That's the whole, that's the whole philosophy of moving, which is this philosophy of like, you know, I told this, I used to tell this story to the, people who come to me for trauma. And I think it's still a good story, but you know, I'm telling it now in this different way, but it's like, look, let's, we're going to climb up. We're going to hike. We're going to go on a hike, but it, and we're going to go on a hike and there's wilderness. We're going to hike in the wilderness. Okay. So now I'm prepping you. Okay. So we have to have the right shoes, the right clothes. We have to have a backpack. We got to make sure we can light a fire. We got to make sure we have a sleep, you know, like, okay. So you have to have all this preparation if you're going to hike in the wilderness. Right. Okay. So some people already get that. They go, okay, so I need, okay. But it's like, no, you don't quite understand because this is still only the preamble (laughs) is that we need all the stuff, but you also need to be able to, now that we have all the stuff and we know how to read the compass and we know how to like, um, maybe like the bare minimum of like not falling off a fucking cliff in the dark, you know, like we, okay. Cause there's like, you take it slow. Then there's the building up strength. Okay. So we're going to hike, but your legs are fucking weak. So now, now that we have all the stuff you need to like, we need to like have this periodization of like you hike and you rest and you hike and you rest until you can really hike. Because actually what you think is hiking right now isn't hiking. not hiking, <laughs> right. but that's okay. It's okay. It's just, okay. Now we come the second phase, which is like, 
you have to get smarter, more skillful, stronger, more resilient in this capacity of the hike, which is to know, know when to light the fire, know when to take a nap, know when to do all these things, right? Because maybe you thought you were going to hike 15 miles, but actually you only need to hike one mile today. Mm -hmm. And it's like, how do you figure that out? It's like, that's the game. It's like, you need to figure it out. So all of this preamble and people go, okay, this is going to take a lot longer than I thought, because I thought we were hiking to the summit. I'm like, okay, so now I have to help you because we have to first get you to the summit. We have to first get you to the summit. Like, how are you going to get there? Like, oh, you, oh, so I have to be, okay. And now let's say we do get there. You're not going to be the same person you are. Totally. Okay. So now I have to, so let's just say we could fast forward to the summit. You're going to be a different person. I need to give you a different preamble, which yeah. is, so you thought we were going to the summit and technically we are, but along the way, we found a cave. Along the way to the summit, we found a cave. And you really, something in you really wanted to go into that cave. <laughs> And I, and I, the, the, the friendly neighborhood guide was like, you know, you hired me to take you to the summit, wink, wink. You hired me to take you to the summit, wink, wink. Don't you remember, wink, wink. Because you totally want to still go to the summit, right? And I'm just your friendly neighborhood guide who's going to take you there, right? And you have to start to realize we've now entered something else. Yeah. Which is something inside you really wants to go into that cave. <laughs> I'm your friendly neighborhood guide. And I say, this is why you really hired me, right? I have to get your, I have to get your acknowledgement of the fact that actually you hired me to get you to the mouth of a cave. <laughs> and then they go, you're right. I need help. And I go, <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, right, exactly. Exactly. Like you have to admit. You have to admit something about the real transaction here, which totally. is that you hired me to get you to a cave you didn't know existed because you thought you wanted to go to a summit. And I was like, okay, <laughs> sure. You want to go to the summit. Yeah. Yeah. I hear this story all the time. That's why my company is called summits are us, you know, <laughs> we get you to the summit guaranteed wink, wink. It's like, and because people are like, oh, that's what I want. I want to get to the summit. It's like, sure you do. But there's a cave over here now. <laughs> oh, okay. But then I go, okay, so now here's the second preamble, which is we're just going to set up camp outside this cave. We're just going to set up camp outside this cave for a while. Like as in like maybe like three years or something, or maybe it's two weeks or whatever, but I'm just saying we're going to set up camp at the mouth of the cave because I need you to sit like one inch into the threshold of that cave and not go in and just fucking sit there all day and all night for at least one. And you're not going to be able to do it. You're going to go 10 minutes. I'm done. And I'm going to go, great. I told you until you can sit there for 24 hours, not blacking out, you are not going to go into the cave. Mm -hmm. And you're like, no, 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 we should just go in. It's like, no, no, no. I'm not <laughs> going to go in with you. <laughs> this is what I said. You can take it or leave it. And then they start to go, well, I hired you. It's like, no, you didn't. <laughs> you didn't hire my ethics. You can't, you know, like you didn't, you're not, I'm not like your fucking slave. I'm saying this is the game that we're actually playing now. 
you are not in as control as you thought you were, but I can't make you do it. You can leave, you can find another summit guide because yeah. there's a million summit guides and yes, they will take are. you to the summit. <laughs> but the point is, what happens when you sit at the threshold of the cave you didn't know you wanted to go into until yesterday? Right. Consciously, you were like, I didn't think I wanted this, but something really wants this. And now I'm being told I can't have it. And I'm saying, yeah, you could maybe have it, but you've got to sit at the threshold for a while. Because what people don't understand is that exactly what's happening there is what you were just talking about, is that there will only be one moment when you cross that threshold. Totally. Because you could come in, you, you could, we could say you could go in the cave, you could come out, you could go in, you could come out. And people do that, right? They just go in and out and in and out. And they yes. like have their fucking tea and crumpets. And they, they think that they went into the cave. Yes. They think they went into the cave yeah. because they were just like, it's okay. I can do whatever. Yes. But I'm saying, no, no, no. If you don't understand what I'm pointing to, you will never be able to go into that cave again. That's right. That's right. <laughs> because it's like, there's one shot at this. That's right. There's one shot at this. But if you fuck it up, you'll just get another shot at a different cave another time. It's fine. Totally. It's totally fine. You know, so it's like you you let the, the steam out of the pressure cooker a little bit, but you also say it's still hot. The pressure cooker is still hot. Yes. It's maybe not going to explode in your face, but... Uh, you shouldn't touch it, it's going to burn you. Because yeah. what you have to understand is that you think it's a material thing that you could just cross the threshold and stay yeah. the same. Yes. You think that you could just go in and the gravity is going to be the exact same as it is when you're not in. Yes. So, okay, out here is where we have the backpack and the camp stove and the fucking hiking boots and you can like put on a scarf and all this shit. And you yeah. can have consent about harm reduction <laughs> because you're outside of the cave and we That's have right. this whole agreement about shared reality and shit, right? Okay. But the point, what I'm trying to say is if you really go into that cave, I mean, really go into that cave, you will not have a fucking scarf. You will not have a fucking hiking boot. <laughs> Right. <laughs> you will barely have the memory that you can get out of it. That's right. You That's might right. not even remember that I'm out here with the campfire. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. You see? And it's yeah. like, That's right. so this is the real game now, which That's is to right. say there is another world yes. that I can't really go with you. Yes. I could stay outside this yeah. cave and watch you. Yes. I could, and I could call in, I could send messenger pigeons into the totally. cave yes. and I can go, remember, you could always come out. You, yeah. I'm here. I'm here outside. There's a warm fire. And I just want you to know that it's okay. Yeah. Like I can say that from the mouth of the cave, but whether or not you hear me when you're inside the cave, totally. is, I can't, I don't have any control over that. Totally. And how about the fact that once you're in the cave, it's not exactly one room. It's not a, yes, it's not what you think it is because it, if you really enter that cave, it is a different reality. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. And I think, you know, so much like as you're describing and I feel it in my body, yeah. like I really appreciate the telling it in the way that you're telling it because it's rare that I speak to somebody where that resonance, where I can feel it in my right, right. being. Yeah. And that feels so good to have <laughs> that fun, experience. Right? <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but I think too, there's the piece around people linger at the mouth of that cave for lifetimes. For lifetimes. For lifetimes. That's right. And they think that they're doing the thing. Uh-huh. Because these people tend to find me. They oh, tend yeah, totally. to find me and be like, I, I, they don't tell me I'm lingering at the threshold, but in five minutes, I know they're lingering at the threshold. Yeah, totally, 100%, I get you, yeah, yeah. And I think the thing is that like, I've wondered for a long time, like what is it in the alchemy of some of us that, that makes us cross that threshold, even if we didn't knowingly consent to crossing the threshold. Totally. What, because once you cross the threshold, like, it's like my friend Sadie says, once you cross it, you, you, you smell different. Yeah, like yeah. there's no going back once you've crossed the threshold. Technically, technically. In that space that are very hard to get back from. Totally. And technically, no, no one tells you. And technically, if you really go into the cave, you never actually leave it. You don't dare. You, you don't, don't actually leave you the cave. You don't. You just learn how to participate in the other reality yes. from a framework and a vantage point that looks more like it might be in coherence with the reality, but you smell so different and you yes. vibrate so differently that anybody who isn't near the reality that you are in walks in the other direction. Totally. Because they can't tolerate that whatever that is that is now emanating from you right because what people what people because here's the thing spoiler alert if you actually go on this journey you know what i'm talking about and if you haven't yet you still don't know what i'm talking about that's, that's right that's it but the point what i'm trying to say is spoiler alert no one comes out of that cave because the cave eats you yes exactly you actually die in that cave you die in that cave. something else arises that is it still you. you yes it, it has all your fucking memories it has all your fucking tendencies and it has all your fucking like ticks and is all your you know it has it's it's like a perfect simulation of you except one thing is different and that's the thing that makes a difference yes is that now you understand something about the nature of reality and how much you were not actually in it before yes. you yes. died in yes. the cave before the cave ate you yes. you were actually some kind of weird ghost thing yes yes and now after you got eaten by the the cave you're still a ghost thing but not only yes yes because yeah. you can you can immediately reference all of that ghostliness you can go oh yeah i remember what it was used to be like Completely yeah. 100%. I remember what it <laughs> used to be like to act in a certain way, to yeah. believe certain things, to have certain double binds that were seemed impermanently in my system forever and ever. Like you completely, it's not like you lose it. Yeah. It's right. not like you forget it. You actually just get more of it. You, but it's not the same qualia. Yeah, it's not the right. same qualia because you can go, oh, right. That's what got me to the cave. Yes, totally. So it's actually a gift, but it's a shitty gift. I mean, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah, totally. Because doing it while you're in the cave, it shows up as how nasty it really is. That's right. Exactly. Because when, when you're in the cave and you actually have been eaten and you've decided to be eaten, you've actually gone, take me away, you know, like fucking do it. 
do the damn thing. I've been waiting for this for 10 million lifetimes. Just fucking do it. Totally. Once you actually say that and do, and it go through the process, when you pick up the old habit or the old addiction, it's not the same pleasure cycle. Totally. You don't get the same like hit of like, you go, oh, uh, what? It's like the cigarette tastes bad in your mouth. Totally. It's like that feeling isn't like some, it's not like a metaphor. It's literally like, it's, it's not the same. And it's empty. It's empty. It's empty. It's empty of, of body for you because the, your body is no longer in that cycle or in that qualitative exchange anymore. Well, it's a different, it's literally a different reality. You're you're in a different gravity. Yes. Yes. It's like, if I go to the moon, I have to rethink all sorts of things because the moon is different than the earth. Yes. Am I different? Well, that's where you get into interdependence because me here on earth is not me on the moon. Yes. So I have to think and I have to rewire my whole neural network to make different choices because the gravity is different. The atmosphere is different, blah, blah, blah. What people don't understand is that you don't need to go to the moon or go to ayahuasca to do this. You don't need to go to Peru. That's a nice thing. And I've done it and it was very wonderful. But the point I'm saying is that like, everyone's got their cave. Yeah, totally. I think a lot of people are actually avoiding their cave by going to do the ayahuasca. Yes, me too. Me too. And I would say that I know people for which that cave has shown up in many moments. Oh, totally. And and they are purposefully saying no to those moments. Yeah. Because it can't not show up for them because the divine is always showing up for you. It's always always available to a certain degree. Yes. Yes. And and that's the thing that people go, it's like, I, I told this story as if there was only one cave. Right. But the point is, is there's only one cave for each of us, but it yeah. shows up as everything. Yes, totally. totally. It shows up as my thought in the morning when I wake up. It shows up as my capacity to deal with the irritation of my life. It shows up as my relationships. It shows up as my fear, my pain, my hunger. The point yeah. is, is this cave or this door that I'm talking about is reality itself. Yes, but you're fundamentally changing how you relate to reality by going, I'm going to really fucking be here. Yes. I'm not going to be in my Truman Show simulation anymore. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to get step out of the door. So in the Truman Show, Truman's cave was at like the end of the movie where he left the yeah. fucking dome. Yes. But yes. the whole movie was his preparation to sit at the threshold of exactly. that, thing, that moment, exactly. because exactly. the whole movie was basically his consciousness sitting at that door saying, That's am right. I going to open and walk? 100%. I mean, that was like the post I wrote this morning about state change. Like we, when we make big changes, we, we, we wrestle with them. We contemplate them. We turn them around in our mind. We discuss them with people. We hire people to help us. Mm-hmm. But the reality is when you step through the door of that cave when it really happens it's because every one of your bodies is cooperating and aligning for that moment that millisecond for that to happen and it is outside of you that that cooperation happens you don't orchestrate that thing you might orchestrate the preparation for that that's what you do the conditions maybe some of the conditions yeah yes exactly and it still may not happen for you ever I remember the first time I went on a meditation retreat and I had this like crazy jonic experience and I came back and I told my girlfriend who had been sitting in this tradition for a long time 
And I was like, oh, I mean, everybody's having that. She's like, Brie, everybody is not having that happen. I said, well, <laughs> what else are they doing? Yeah, <laughs> and she's like, they're thinking about food and sex. Yeah. And I was like, but then, 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 then. she was like, Brie, trust me, this is not happening. And I was like, really? And she was like, no. And so then I kept going and, you know, whatever happened, happened, but it took me a long time to recognize the fact that much of our life is spent preparing for that moment in the cave. Yeah. 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 And it's like, you know, it goes beyond right and wrong, good and bad. Like, should you do it or shouldn't you? It's like, those are not correct. No, it's not useful. Compelled dare. There's a compelling going on there that is so much deeper than those things. Right. Yeah. And this compelling is like the real transaction, which is a, it's not competitive because on some level you're just discovering like, it's not even yours, but it is your experience. You're discovering your real experience. Yes. Like the experience that's like also encompasses all of the false experiences that you protect yourself with. Yes. It's like you get the real thing, but you also get all of the fake things because you're like, oh, right, because I choose those fake things for this reason and that reason and the other thing. But at a certain point, there's like this peeling off of all the Band-Aids yeah. because the wound that you are that you think is a wound, yeah. right? The harm that you th- think that you've really happened to you, the pain. And it's like very real, like the, br- the blistering hot sun of the pain that you've experienced or that you don't want to fucking think about. At a certain point, you actually just like feel the light of it. Yeah. You feel the warmth, the light, and it sort of like disintegrates your ass. You know, it starts to disintegrate you as a kind of entity that is separate from it, right? Because yeah. there's me and there's my trauma, right? It's like, <laughs> I can like, I can heal myself if I get rid of my trauma. It's like, y- y- no, that's actually not how it works. Yeah. And this is the fucked up thing that I keep coming back to about like, you know, it's not just the narrative about trauma healing on a personal social level. It's the narrative about trauma healing on an institutional cultural level. 100%. These fucking narratives are actually the same. They just show up slightly differently, but they're both about fundamentally continuing the lie, the dishonesty of separation. Yes. 100%. Yes. 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 And fundamentally, that lie undergrids every move that's being made, every transaction that's happening in all of those systems. It's the entire base of how those systems are built, which is why I've been arguing for so long that there's no way those systems can liberate a fucking person. No. They're not or or a, or a culture or like no. whatever they're whatever they're trying to say that they're doing. That's right. 100%. It's all a lie. Right. Yep. And this is what's funny to me about like the work that you and I are doing and you're doing it more because you're actually more involved in the sort of nonprofit, whatever you want to call it, nonprofit, industrial, corporate health industry, whatever the fuck, I don't know, like wellness, blah, blah, blah. I'm more of this like rogue outsider doing my standup routine on the internet, you know, like whatever. But the point is, is that like that world of social justice is not just. That's right. Because justice is really this liberation we're talking about, which actually brings you back to solidarity with reality. Like it doesn't separate you more. 
That's right. It actually brings you back like a boomerang. It's yeah, like it boomerangs give you, you it back. Give you a new, better reality to embrace. Yeah. <laughs> no. No, I know. I know. I mean, this is this is the shit that like really keeps me on the edge of whether or not I will continue doing this or not. Totally. Because it it is it's essence depleting. Totally. Right? Just being in relationship with those large organizational bodies totally. that are fixated on it being a particular way to protect some ephemeral thing that we've all agreed upon must be protected for us to stay safe is just a giant colossal lie mm -hmm. and then there's so much harm coming from that right. and it's like, the harm that really keeps me staying somewhere on that edge instead of selling beauty products which i totally. think would actually be way more pleasurable for me yeah totally totally like sell interior decorating or something seriously totally. legit like, i mean, no, I, I, mean re I remember in my fourth year of owning the center i owned it for 11 years in the fourth year this is a bad sign i was driving to work and passing the tiny mall in vermont and there was a coles i don't even like coles i grew up in bloomingdale's okay <laughs> I'm driving to the center and I see a Coles and I think, I wonder if they're hiring. That is a bad sign right <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah. Well, that's the door. That's your cave going. Do you really want to go in the cave? Because the center is just the vehicle we're using to get you to look at the fucking cave, right? Like there's a reality there that is um, so precious and comical at the same time, right? It's just comical. It's like, Right. Why would I want to work at Kohl's? It's like, right, because there's something like still, there's something more real about that. On yeah. Well, and there's something promising about that. Yeah. That's what it was, is that the idea of being a cashier at Kohl's felt more promising than the 10,000 patients we had. And I was arguing with Blue Cross Blue Shield to try and get them to pay for body-based work. So instead I had to create a fucking nonprofit arm because the poor people couldn't pay for the somatic therapy that they needed for the trauma. And all they would pay for was the goddamn psychiatrist, which I needed them to have sessions with so I could pay my employees. I mean, this, so- I could write a I whole mean, book. No, on I mean, this is like, this is the, this is the, it's a fucking Shakespearean comic tragedy. It is, it it's is. Like, it is. It it's is. totally based on this oligarchical nepotism in which like there's 10,000 lords and ladies, but they're all trying to kill each other. And the peasants are just like watching these people yes. fucking do their soap opera, but also being oppressed by them. And so then the peasants go, well, let's make a play in which everything is a metaphor for what's actually happening yes. for real. Yes. And we go, oh, this is satire. And it's like, yeah, but it's actually more honest. Yes, exactly. It's more honest than what's happening because all these fucking like billionaire oligarchs are actually like in their fucking vampire angel simulations. Yes. And I yes. and I and I was I was really feeling and thinking about this the other day because I'm I'm uh, reading a few books of people who are looking at this from different angles like the kind of labor union angle and different things but I was trying to think of like what is it about these nonprofit NGO like status quo, but they say they're not the status quo, but they really are the status quo because the status quo is separation and curing yeah. and just like what we've just talked about. And I, I thought into the idea or the character of these 
entities, because they're really entities now, they're corporate entities that sort of like have a mind of their own. And it's really creepy when you start to really look at what's happening in like law and legal stuff. It's a very weird shit. But what I was like, I was like, in like a fantasy novel, this is totally like a mixture of like the vampire archetype and the angel, the angelic archetype combined in some fucked up mutation. Mm. where like the vampire is constantly hungry and but needs slaves because if it eats the blood supply it goes hungry so it needs kind of like chattel it needs kind of like this creepy slave like keep the slave alive so that they produce blood so that you can stay alive but also like what the fuck so it's like that model but the vampire also thinks it's a good person totally and then it's an angel because it's trying to protect the God. Totally. So it's totally. like a vampire angel. And it's, it's like, true. oh, this is the whole fucking game is basically yeah. vampire angels who are like <laughs> sucking on the blood of a child while yeah. they're talking about social justice. 100%. Like, oh, this is actually the game. We're actually like, like my stupid little story, my fantasy novel in my head, flash fiction about vampire angels is more honest yeah totally than what we're talking about when we go to conferences about social yeah, justice i know like, it's more fucking honest i know my satire that i thought of or came through me is way more fucking real than the story that we're hearing on instagram and in your fucking like lottie dottie conferences like because who's paying those fucking speakers to go to the university I so know. that they can buy houses on stolen land? I know. It's the fucking game. I know. I know. I know. I know. I know. And so I repeatedly ask myself this question or like am checking myself for how much capacity I have to interact with that level of dishonesty without it impeding my ability to exist. That's right. And I think that is unfortunately where it like that it's it's this dance for me that happened. Totally. And yesterday put me over that threshold a little bit, which is why I was just irate last night and into this morning. Right. And I think it's um uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it goes back sometimes to that feeling of like, where's my move? That's and right. Outside yeah. of all of these conditions, still, what is my move? Totally. So last week I'm in New York with my mom. We're walking back to this hotel we're staying at. And we walk by this woman on the ground who is homeless, which of course, New York has tons of homeless people. Mm -hmm. And she's sitting on the ground and she is wrapped in this white sheet and she is huddled over holding this cup with a few pennies in it and her whole being is shaking and her head is down. And I'm like, I, I, immediately, you can't not be struck by the absolute direness of this particular condition. Totally. And so I reach in my purse to get some money and I grab some money and I walk over to her and I lean down and she lifts her head and I make eye contact with her and I say a few things and I give her the money and I walk back over to my mom and my mom says that's not enough. And I said mom if we give her more money i'm worried she's going to get stolen from 
like she's pretty helpless. That's right. So my mom says to me, it doesn't matter what happens to this money. You give it to her anyway. So my mom hands me some money. I walk back over. I lean down. I make eye contact with her again. I say a few things. I give her the money. There's a security guard standing there. And my mom looks at him and she says to him, can we do something? Can we call the police? And he looks at her and he's like, oh no, there's nothing you can do. He said, God bless you. You just did the one thing that you could do. And I look at him and I say to him, you're going to keep an eye on her. And he said, oh no, that's not my job. I have a job to do, blah, 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 blah. All right. So we walk away, we walk into this hotel and I can't, I can't let it go. I'm so upset. I can't let it go. And I feel my own helplessness is so strong. And I know I am not helpless. That's right. And so I say to my mom, I'm walking out, I'm going back on the street and I'm going to buy this woman a scarf. I don't know what else to do. I don't live in New York. I don't know who to call, but this is what I can do. And so my mom says, you're going back. I said, yes, I'll be back. So she says, okay, don't take too long. So she still thinks I'm in danger at Times Square. So, so I go out there and I walk to the corner and now there's a weed world truck. If this is not the most farcical story you've ever heard, now there is a weed world truck on this corner. And as I'm approaching, I see the truck and I'm like, oh, fuck, I know they've got to have moved this woman. And so I walk over and sure enough, she's gone. Somebody must have like scampered her away. So I look in a couple of the other streets, I can't find her. So I don't know what to do from there, you know? So I go back and I think, well, I still made my move. Like I still walked out there to go do the thing, even if the result was not available to me, I still went there to do the thing that I could do. So I go back into the hotel room, I can't shake it. And so I say to my mom, I'm going downstairs to go get a cup of coffee at the bar. I can't stay in the room. Like I can't, I feel close. You gotta like move, move around. I gotta move, right? I gotta move. So I go down to the bar. I sit down at the bar. The waitress comes over. I said, do you have a, can I get a cup of coffee? Oh, we've closed everything for the. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we go. (laughs) I'm like, what the fuck? So I go back to the hotel room. Now I got to get in the shower, right? So I get in the shower and like, that's it. I'm able to like calm it enough for the night. There's more that happens the next day. Three more moves that all get hijacked the next day. We don't get on our plane. The, The flight is canceled. It gets, I mean, on and on there. It was 48 hours of this magical shit happening for me, right? That was essentially testing my moves. It was really a function of not the result of my moves, but the the test of my ability to say, I'm not going to be hampered in making that move, even if I don't ever see the results. And it's so hard too, because most people are like, oh, it's so sad that you missed your flight. Yeah, I know. I know. Exactly. But to the practitioner, this was not about the flight. It's not about about the flight. It's not about any of that. And the deck was stacked 
because Sydney is submitting her application for college this week and she was working on her essay and she was crying to me the night before about how she needed me to be home and this wasn't the week for me to not be home <laughs> and I had spelled out for her exactly how we were going to walk through it when I got back and then I had to text her at school and say I'm not going to make it home today. Right. Yeah. And I had to trust that that was the move that was the move that I the invisible move I couldn't see that I had made all of my moves and that now I had to trust the wider network of movement that it was carrying my daughter and I and my mother wherever the fuck we were going and that homeless woman on the street too. Right. 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 Because at a certain point, your moves are only reflections of this sort of philosophy of movement that is movement itself. 100%. It's like we're all in the move of yes. the god or the goddess or the Tao or whatever you want to call it. It's like, yeah. but the the universe is moving. Yes. And inside that moving, we are making our moves. Yes. And, yes. and at a certain point, you get to see that or you feel it or you know it on a level where you kind of it breaks your idea of yourself yes. as a kind of independent free will agent because yes. you're not an it's like at a certain level you can pretend to be totally. an independent free will agent like totally. yeah totally i can right now move get out of my house do a little dance on the lawn and no one will stop me and i'm like look at me my free will totally Totally. And that's like, you know, a superficial level of the game. But the stuff we're talking about is once you're in the cave and you never, you realize you never left and you can't ever leave. Yes. Actually, like even when you were not in it, you were in it because the cave is everywhere. Yes. Oh, it's like throughout time and space. And you're like, oh shit, there was no past where I wasn't in the cave. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like Truman in the Truman show everything his entire life to get through that one threshold was still part of the world yes exactly he just didn't know it because it was a world inside of a world yes 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 So, so it's not like the simulated world he was in was the fake world because it was still part of the world 100%. So we think about the things that shouldn't have happened to us, the things that we hate about history and reality and the vampire angels. And we go, yeah, this fucking is is a terrifying game of hypnosis, but also they're still part of this larger move. Yes. And it's like, this this is the thing I think so many people get to a suicidal point about. Yes. Because they can't see that life isn't a binary. Yes. Like, yes, there are vampire angels. And there are also the things that allow vampire angels to exist. Yes. And it's like, that means anything can exist, including vampire angels. And you have to be happy about that. Yes. Yes. And then we go, no, I don't like Donald Trump. Donald Trump shouldn't exist. And he shouldn't have been president. And I'm like... But that clearly wasn't the move. Right, that clearly wasn't the move. And there was a collective that created that move. Actually, there was a collective that was orchestrated to create that totally. move. Totally, because there are there are these conditions inside of conditions. And at some level, there's lobbyists and social media influencers and all sorts of people who are trying to move the field from their illusory vantage point. 
Yes. They're saying separation is real. Good and evil is real. Rich and poor is the way it is. And they're moving in this direction. But at a certain level, you also understand that there's another door outside of that one. And you go, oh, I can just keep. And this is like the non-dual thing, which is like at a certain point, you have to both be this like weird hermit in the mountains and in New York City. Yeah, totally. You're like both, you're like a both and. You're like, yes. You can't make a move that is of your own agency, right? You can't make them, which is really just you deciding that your moves are going to be as fused with the true move as you can get, as close to that as you can get, which is what the death practice is all about, right? Totally. It's like you're getting to as close to that true move as you can because it feels the most authentic or the most true or the most honest, which is the yeah. word that comes the closest for me. Sure. Accurate, and, honest, for sure. Yeah. You're just yeah. like, well, this is more honest. You know? And so you can't go against that wide body that has decided together of influencers, lobbyists, everything that you just said, that it's decided the, the game is this, unless you are connected to the true move, because mm-hmm. you'll die trying to do it, because they will eat you alive, because Absolutely. it is that big. And so the only thing that can support you being able to infiltrate that, if that's the word for what it is, is that you have the honesty in your back pocket, essentially. Totally. You know, I remember it's like you're like a zombie princess. It's like, you know, Game of Thrones was a stupid show, but it had some good metaphors, you know, like and spoiler alert if people haven't like watched it. But the point is, is like I haven't watched it. There was this point, there was this point where there was a character called like the leader of the sparrows and he like was very poor monk kind of priest person who like dressed in rags and like, but he had this like faction of zealots, you know, but the point is, is like he was directly against the queen who was like basically a vampire zombie bitch, you know, like she just was she always got her way by hook or by crook, did the most despicable things, and she was totally okay with it. Right? She's just a total asshole. She's the zombie vampire princess angel, right? Like she's she gets her way by hook or by crook. She kills whoever she has to. She's the most disturbed. And she's just doing her thing. And then there's this guy, there's this sparrow who sees that the there's a potential to shift the game by doing like the same kind of thing, but almost like in the opposite appearance. Mm. It's like, don't hide from the people, don't have any riches, just be so fucking honest that everyone likes you, right? Yeah. But on a, but if you zoom out from that, both of them were still the same character. Yes, 100%. Yes, exactly. So we've yes. got these like zombies that'll eat you, these princess zombies who can never have enough food, they're hungry ghosts forever. And then you have these people who take the so-called opposite road, more honesty, more poverty, more like renunciation, and yet still play the same game and don't even know it. That's it. That's it. That's it. And until so you mind blowing. Game, I know. I know. And until you exit the game, you just don't know the difference. Nope. You can say you know the difference, but you just don't know the difference That's because right. it's fundamentally different. That's right. Yes. And both, both of those characters are using codependency and domination in different yes. ways 
to get you to be a little slave puppet. Yeah, 100% true. But one of them looks like they're being a good person and one of them is like obviously an asshole, right? Like That's the right. Zombie, the, in this model, the zombie queen is totally, everyone knows she's psychotic. You know, right. it's like, no, there's no fucking, and in some way she's more honest. Well, I was gonna say, in some <laughs> ways it's better to be in that space. I mean, this is like when somebody comes to me and they like, you know, have been through the typical treatment arc of eating disorders, right? They have basically traded in their eating disorder for like yoga yeah, totally. or art, right? And then they come to me and they have an entire ecosystem that is built upon how good they are because now they don't restrict anymore. But what they do is they're really good at yoga. And in fact, they're really good at like the competitive form of yoga and they look really good and they're a vegan and blah, blah, blah. And they'll tell me this for 20 fucking sessions. Yeah, you totally. know, right, but the reality is that fundamentally nothing has changed. Now you see that person at 25 and that's what they're doing. You see that same person at 60 and they're begging you for help. Right. At 60, they're sitting there and they're saying, what the fuck is going on? I've been on this train for 45 years and I've done the yoga and I've done the spiritual practice and I've done the eating disorder and somehow I just have this sense something's still not right. And I think maybe you might tell me what's not right. And then you start talking to them and it's like gold. They're like lapping it up like it's their last fucking, you know, cup of tea. Because the reality is everybody else has been selling them the bit of bill of goods all of that time and telling them that if they just do this other good thing, they're going to get to the summit that you described. And I'm telling them, dude, the summit isn't actually the destination. And they've been lying to you all this time. And at 65, somebody is finally willing. They have the humility at that time to basically say, thank you, Jesus, for telling me the truth. Totally. I don't, still don't know how I'm going to get out of it. But yeah. thank God for you that you're telling me the truth because I knew somewhere in my being that all those other people were fucking lying to me. Totally. Everyone knows this, but then it's like what we're fighting against is the sort of egotistic and the, and even if it's a woman, they're testosterone essentially. Totally. Fighting against this, this ability to be so stubbornly greedy. Dogged. Yes. Doggedly greedy about like the life they're supposed to have. Yes that it takes from 25 to 65 for life to basically grind you Break into them down. Paste. Totally. <laughs> and totally. that's also love because yes. again, like what I said at the beginning, it's like your dumb ass is the problem. Yes. <laughs> you know, yes. like, like our dumb ass is the problem. It's like, yes. I need to be ground into a pulp before I come and become honest because yes. There's something I'm resisting about honesty or intimacy that is not the real thing. Yes. But I believe it is. And so I'm going to resist. Until and I want to keep believing that it is because I like the idea of believing that it is. And everybody else is believing the idea that it is. Yeah, we all believe together and we're in a loose cult that we don't call a cult. Totally. You totally. know, and that's the thing, too, because like at a certain point, the, the thing that I also find it's hard is that like, when people come to people like us and they have a lot of, you know, let's just call it trauma, but they have a lot of delusions that are based in pain, pain-based delusions, is that 
they actually don't know how to trust information correctly. Like they don't know how to basically, like what you said, reality test is a great word is they don't know how to like take in information without it having an either be like, either I submit and believe this information or I completely 100% resist it as a lie. Yes. Those two paths are the same path. That's right. Exactly. They're the same arm that the they same. come from. Yeah. That's it's right. like you can either accept it and become a slave because that's what belief and faith and like listening is. It's like, uh, no, that's not it. But also this, this like, no, you just lied to me and uh, you're trying to hurt me. And I know that because blah, blah, blah. And it's like both of those options are not anything involving discernment whatsoever. That's right. That's right. Or agency. There's nothing in there. You have so much in there. That's right. I know. And so a lot of times is like we have to teach people how to basically become like an informational or like a communication scientist or something. Yes. It's like I take in communication, but then I sort of like put it on the table and I kind of like look at it through different like magnifying glass. I become like this weird Frankenstein doctor of communication and information. Yes. Because most people who are coming to this, they actually don't like, like the voices that are already in their head are unreliable narrators. That's right. That's right. That's so right. So they need to develop a reliable narrator who is kind of like a detective or a scientist right. who is kind of like just the facts, ma'am. You know, That's like right. you need to have like a fucking like, what's that word? Like Columbo in your head. Yes. Who's yes. like not willing to be tricked by the criminals, That's right? right. That's like right. you have to develop this kind of personality that is like i won't be fooled that's right that's right like that's yeah. like a detective you know like that's some right. kind of like gritty asshole who's like going to like question authority that's right but and also a, is going to question the stupid voices in your head all the time that's right and a sensibility for what the truth feels like and smells like yeah and you have to develop that it's not obvious at the beginning that's right that's it's right. like you can't just imagine a smell that's you right. Know, like that's people, it's also like you can't just imagine what sex is like if you're a virgin. You don't right. know what the fuck you're talking about. It's that's just right. an imagination. Yeah. And that's the imagination is imagination might get you to the threshold again. What yes. we're talking about, imagination might prepare you to get to a doorway. That's right. But getting through the doorway is another reality that is not your imagination. That's right. That's right. Which leads us to a whole other subtopic, which we should talk about another time because my handyman is about to totally, be here. Totally. Get the mold off of my ceiling. Um, but the but the subtopic that that leads me into, which I would love to talk to you about, is this piece around like how you can be oriented towards that. And that's what we're really talking about is that like people think we're going to give them the thing, but what we're actually doing is orienting them to the landscape so that they can understand how to navigate that terrain because they're already in it. They just don't recognize it. 100%. Yes. And there are both tools and orientation maps that can help you to understand that so that you can find your footing within it and you can walk more easily. Totally. And to me, this is the whole thing. Right, because it's this, this what you're talking about, this subtopic is still part of the philosophy of moving. It's yes. A, it's a philosophy of moving. It's like you get these high and flighty ideas, but then at a certain point, you need to know how to read a compass and like, yes. you need to know how to like, uh, identify markers on the landscape. Yes, you have to operationalize the whole thing. I mean, this is where my whole like 
thing of like creating this different healthcare system came in is it's like, oh, that all sounds amazing, but how the fuck do you operationalize something like that? And that is where the rubber really meets the road is how do you operationalize all these things in real time when you wake up in the morning and you have to feed yourself and take care of your kid and pay the bills in a capitalist society and all of these things, which is why I think it's lovely. And at some point I may take a very long meta break where I go to Bali and like <laughs> you know, drop out for a little while so that I can refuel on like beautiful landscape and the beach and cheap food yeah. and spiritual people. But at the end of the day, I'm still going to leave that cave too and re-enter this landscape where my living is happening in this lifetime. That's right. There may be another lifetime I have that is monastic. Yeah, I've had totally. plenty of them. Maybe <laughs> yeah, I'll yeah. have another one on a different planet. Yeah, Maybe yeah. I won't have to come back again. I don't know. But <laughs> I know that in this one, at this particular time, this is where we belong. Totally. Right. Yeah, no, this is it. I mean, I think we should stop there because it's been wonderful already. And I think, uh, yeah, we'll talk, we'll talk more because it's um, fun. This is where it's through the operationalization is like, it's like you need to give people a better way of doing what they're already doing so they can make the new choices that are actually more of the true moves. Yes. Like you need to show people the that there's the capacity in any situation to make a true move is only as good as your ability to sort of like operationalize the landscape of movement that's possible. Yes, yes. (laughs) And to feel the move, to recognize the move and to recognize what the movement patterns look like. Yes. Awesome. I love it. Well, I'm going to stop recording. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hold on. I'm just going to stop recording. Then we'll say goodbye.